0: you asked a drummer to describe rhythm, most drummers will tell you that it's about keeping time, it's about beat, it's about meter. And if you ask a a good drummer, a good drummer will tell you that it's about the band, it's about the people that you're playing with. But if you ask a great drummer to describe what rhythm is, they'll say that rhythm is best experienced in the pocket. And so this morning I'm going to teach you a little bit about life and how it's not about balance it's about rhythm i'm going to teach you about living your life in the pocket today so last week i'm watching the today show and this clip or some version of it comes on and i'm watching the story of Steven slater this flight attendant who had a bad day i'm not sure exactly how it all unfolded and we don't either but chances are he didn't wake up that morning saying you know what i'm going to be a cult hero all of a sudden But something happened, whether it was one bad day after another, one too many, I'll have a half-calf, half-decaf, please. Uh, Or you know who you are, and if you're not laughing, you're probably the one that was pushing his buttons Maybe you've done that before, but whatever, there's this interaction and things happen and all of a sudden he is out of here. He's got his two beverages. He's down the chute and he has got, in fact, I just checked before the service, over 208,000 fans on Facebook right now, people who are just so excited, like, yeah, you tell them and and I don't know, it feels a little awkward. It feels like our country's maybe in trouble a little bit. But nevertheless, there's something in this guy's story that resonates with us. And I tell you what, there's something in his story that resonates with me. Now, not here, with you wonderful people, of course. But some of you might be aware of this new uh, phenomenon that's sweeping across the country. This new phenomenon called frozen yogurt. Now you've got your your favorite place right now and you know where you probably were even last night, eating some frozen yogurt. Well for those of you who haven't caught on to the frozen yogurt wave, it's the same stuff that was happening back in the 80s, it's just now you're able to, watch this, serve it yourself, put your own toppings on, and it's new and we're back and it's frozen yogurt and people are so excited about it and I've been swept up in the wave. We love it. My kids are like, can we please go to Skimmy Dip? by the way, Skinny Dip is a place you go to. We'll leave it at that. So, anyhow, so we're at, we, we went to a local frozen yogurt place, and this has happened more than once. A moment where I was ready, if there was a shoot to pull, I would have taken my two non-fats with brownies and hot fudge and all the stuff that somehow is supposed to make me feel good because I got non-fat and just escaped from that experience, and it happens like this. And those of you who have small children, you've experienced this scenario. Perhaps at your local frozen yogurt establishment. So a parent and I go in, and we're ready. We, it's, it's always kind of like uh, corralling cats with our family. One of us is carrying Lily in the carrier, and she's just kind of Googling and doing all kinds of stuff, and Luke and Zoe are running all around, and we apologize for that in advance. But, so we go into the frozen yogurt place. We get our cups, and it's so exciting. I want the pink one. I want the green one. We want Sour Patch Kids and all kinds of stuff. And our rule is you get two toppings. But here's what happens always is that we'll start our process and people, you people, uh, walk in behind us. And, and you walk in behind us, but you don't see the little people underneath you because your eyes are fixed on the frozen yogurt machines, and you walk in, and it's frozen yogurt, non-fat. You're in a trance, and I see, and what happens is my kids are getting knocked to the side. Those aren't toppings you're stepping on. Those are my kids. Stop stepping on the toppings that are kids. No, don't do that. And every time it happens, I think to myself, I, come, I keep coming back here. If there was just an emergency shoot, I would take my two frozen yogurts, and I would just... Whoosh, And I think how many times in my life, if there was an emergency shoot right outside of my window, just like Stephen Slater, how many times would I have pulled it? There's something about this guy's story that has really captured the heart. Maybe it's just news. Maybe there's really nothing to it. But I think there's at least something to it. There's a dissatisfaction. There's something that we get, not just about bad customer service or people being rude to one another, but about somebody saying, I'm not going to take this anymore, and I'm out of here. Interestingly enough about his story, he says he still wants to be a flight attendant with JetBlue. I don't know if they'll, if they'll keep taking back. But I don't know what it was. I don't know if we just caught him on a bad day. I don't know if it was the pressure of caring for his ailing mother that's part of the story. But there's something that 208,182 fans on Facebook resonate with and even champion him as a hero because of. And here's why I think it is. I think that there's something within each of us in the quietest of moments. When we're alone, when we're driving in our cars, maybe the moments before we fall asleep. That if we were pushed enough, even just a little bit, that our lives are on such a razor's edge. In our jobs, in our relationships, in our lives. That if there was an emergency escape hatch, we would push it, we would jump, and we would be out of here. Now, that's a scary thought to think about. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, Adam, I came to church for a little bit of hope. I didn't need to be reminded of my life. But I know this, that we all have this in common, that we get that there's a brokenness to our lives. A brokenness that we all get, it, whether we're close to God, whether we're far from God, there's something that resonates within us about Stephen's story. And there's something that we potentially have no idea how to fix. Even those of us who have been walking with God and seem to have all the right answers. We've had enough. We're spent. And if we're not careful, we burn out. We don't want to burn out. And these are all symptoms of what I call the balance rut. What is balance? Well, you remember when you were in elementary school, at least I, I remember this, uh, during the presidential physical fitness test, there was something called the shuttle run. Some of you PE uh, teachers are all too familiar with this. Well, the shuttle run was basically this idea, for those of you who don't remember, uh, there, were, there were erasers similar to this that were set, um, you know, I don't know, there's probably a meter distance, somewhere 20 me- yards apart or something like that. There were several of them, and the object, of course, was to run from one eraser to the next. You had to cross the line, you had to put your foot over the line, and then you had to get back running as fast as you can. And as I was thinking about this concept of balance, as I was thinking about the brokenness of balance, the balance rut that we live in, this is often my life, if I'm not careful. And I bet this is a picture of your life as well. Because what do these erasers represent? They don't just represent things, they represent family, or maybe it's work. And perhaps you're doing everything you can over here on the work side because you want to provide your family with everything that they need. You want to provide them with the the skills and the tools and the resources to live the life that maybe you didn't have, and so you're working, 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 working. But guess what? Somebody on some talk show or some pastor said, well, you got to live a balanced life. And so what do you find yourself doing? Well, then I'm sprinting as fast as I can over here to this other eraser, which represents what? Maybe it's time with family. Maybe it's slow down, I gotta slow down. But what often ends up happening is that you're always thinking about this other eraser, don't you? You're at this place where I've got things spinning and, and your phone is beeping and it's going off and you're thinking, well, I just gotta get to this next eraser. And so what ends up happening sometimes is this, if, so here is family, maybe this eraser over here becomes vacation. And maybe that va- eraser over there is another vacation. And so because you're moving so fast and you're going back and forth and back and forth, you're living between vacation to vacation to vacation to vacation. And what do we always end up saying at the end of a vacation? I need more vacation. I need another vacation from my vacation. And there is this this part of your soul that is slowly being chiseled away as you're trying to find this thing that doesn't exist. Balance doesn't exist. It's a myth. It doesn't exist. So when we run eraser to eraser to eraser, if we're not careful, our souls get thirsty and thirstier. And our lives become like these little ticking time bombs. And the susceptible at any moment where we're looking for the closest escape hatch, I am out of here. Now, maybe that means something as dramatic as, as you're leaving your job, or, boy, do I wish I could, I could do that because I'm, maybe you're saying, boy, I'm just miserable with my job. I wish I could just be done with this. Maybe, that's, maybe your behavior goes further underground. Maybe it turns into addictive tendencies. I don't know what it is, but there's some sort of escape that you're finding and you're not being honest with yourself because you're just trying to keep this impression of what balance you think balance is supposed to look like. Balance, though, is a myth. And just a cursory glance at the life of Jesus, we see quickly that that living a balanced life was not on Jesus' Jesus' agenda. It wasn't a priority of his. In fact, he was always moving. He was always doing something. In fact, even his most quietest moments were being interrupted by people with need, weren't they? Does it sound familiar? I tell you what, you know who gets that gets interruption is a young mother young mothers get interruption i know because i'm married to one and i know that how the struggle of life as young mothers try and move from thing to thing to thing trying to keep it all together always being interrupted but there's some hope in here somehow because jesus somehow found the secret to all of this there was something about him there was something about how he taught there was something about how he walked and moved about how he lived. There was this certain in, in, unidentifiable quality that captivated countless thirsty lives. There was a, a contentment. People could see it in his eyes, and you we can't see it in his eyes today, but we hear it in his story. About how he was just content. And in spite of his life being threatened, having a B-team full of disciples, having very little to his name, he was content content. And by our own definitions, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. It's not balanced at all. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, it's entirely unbalanced, but somehow that's how Jesus lived. It's hard to describe contentment, isn't it? Are you content? I don't know. What, what does contentment mean? Is it, it's more than happy. It's more than just uh, positional, uh, you know, I, I feel happy at this moment, or it, it's, it's hard to describe, but you know what we can all describe? We can describe what it doesn't feel like. Because the, the opposite of contentment means this. It means dissatisfaction. It means unhappiness. It means displeasure. It means disgruntlement. It means psh, and I'm going to pull that slide, and I'm going to escape. We get the opposite of contentment and you know the truth is is this isn't limited to people who are far from God people in the church get this we get that that even in this process of running eraser to eraser we find ourselves saying well you know God's given me so much so let me run over here and do a lot for other people and 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 then I'm empty and I run back over here and I've got to find more family time and there's still that sense of I'm doing all these things is this really what it's all about and what happens in the midst of this process is that we start forgetting That there's something to to living life, even in the in-between. There's a whole other definition that we're missing. The Apostle Paul got contentment. There was something about the story of Jesus that resonated with him. There was something that made sense. There was something that transformed his life. And as a result, he lived an entirely unbalanced life, by our standards today. And he planted churches all throughout the Middle East. Did some amazing things, healed sick people, did some absolutely wild things. But yet in the process of this, he also found contentment. And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4, which is very familiar to some of us. In fact, this passage closes with a verse that you've seen on the back of cars on bumper stickers. You've quoted it. You might have even written this particular verse, uh, written it on a a piece of paper and put it on your bathroom mirror and you've quoted it over and over and over. It's become your mantra. We'll get to that in a second. But let's pick up his story here as he writes to the church in Philippi uh, Philippians chapter four, verse 10. And he's writing to a group of people that he absolutely loves. Paul loves this church. There are other churches that he loves, but he wants to strangle (laughs) This church he loves and just wants to embrace, and they want to embrace him, and they have over and over and over again, and that's where we meet him in this story. It says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He goes on to say, I'm not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances so a couple of things are happening here first of all Paul writing this book in prison does that make does that does that even connect with you I am content somehow but I'm writing behind bars I've been beaten I've been arrested I've been shunned nobody wants to talk to me but I'm content so perhaps you're sitting here thinking well this guy's crazy But There's something about his story that resonates with the story of Jesus. Also, what's happening here is this church is saying, we love you and we want to care for you. And there's something about your story, Paul, that we want to know more about. Now, this word content means something today different than what it meant 2,000 years ago, roughly thereabouts. See, there was a a prevailing mythological thought. Uh, It was a stoic thought. That contentment came from the gods, whoever the gods are. That you were born with everything that you need for every situation. And if you failed, well, then that was just the way it was. And so it, it, it developed this thought, and this thought kind of crept into the church, and see if this isn't even like today, where people thought, I've got everything I need right now to fix everything. Everything. I can fix my life. I can fix my family. Even my relationship with God is easy to be fixed. And so what happened with this idea of contentment in the old definition, as Paul was defending or as he was railing against, it was really about balance. It was about running back and forth and doing things. It was all about on our own efforts. But he says this as he moves on in this passage. He says that I am... Uh, Going on here, I'm not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. You know, we get those two things. Even if this concept of contentment is is still evading us at this point. We get what it's like to be in need, don't we? Not just financially, and maybe we've experienced that, and maybe we're experiencing it right now. Now, and we're saying, God, I need you to show up in a big way today because there are huge things that are about to collapse in my life if you don't show up. But relationally, we're in need. We've got relationships that are just full of jagged edges and unforgiveness and are raw and are still waiting for us to be honest and address them. We know what it's like to be in need but we also get what it's like to be in times of plenty. I kind of describe these as our birthday moments. You remember, uh, maybe think back over your life to one of your favorite birthday experiences. I love birthdays, and uh, last month I was able to, uh, to be at a good friend of mine's uh, 30th surprise birthday party. I mean, he had everybody that he loved there, his friends, his family, there was great food, it was phenomenal. And if I'd asked my friend in that moment, are you content, he would have said, are you kidding me? This is the time of my life. This is what life is all about, living in these moments. I have plenty. I get what it means to be in plenty. I don't know where you are right now in this room, but certainly you can relate to that. And Paul got that. Even though he's writing from prison, he got that. He's saying, I've had it all, and I've had nothing. But I get what it means to be content. And he says this, i have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation you know when an author of scripture says i've learned the secret it's worth listening to especially somebody like paul i mean this is a guy who has been everywhere and if even in the midst of prison we may not be in prison right now but we get what it feels like to be in bondage to something to not seem to be able to let go of something. We are in prison often throughout our lives. And Paul is saying, I, I have got the secret. This is it. In any and all things. And that's not just a, a redundant statement. It means in any. It means in the littlest of things. In all. It means in the biggest of things. Regardless of what life throws at me. Regardless of what college rejects me or accepts me. Regardless of what my bank account says. Regardless of where or how far or close I feel to God. Regardless of my relationship with my spouse in this moment. I have found the secret to all of this. He's on to something. He says this. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and this is the verse, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Those of you who have memorized this verse, verse, maybe from the King James Bible, have read it. I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength. Certainly Christ is who Paul is referring to. But here's where we've missed the the heart of this verse for so many years. And I think the church has just really, really missed the point of this. Is that this wasn't intended to be some sort of fortune cookie self-help verse. That we write uh, on our, our windows and our bathroom mirrors. It's a great verse to remember. But we have to know that it's not just about finding balance. It's not a, okay, I can do all things. I can have all things. I can have the retirement that I always hoped for. And I can have the family that I always hoped for. And I can have uh, the the stuff and the time off and all this. If I just kind of say, through Jesus, like like he's some sort of magic potion that we drop in. and, And he's like a genie that grants us our wishes. It's not at all what Paul is talking about because that's balance garbage. But there's something else that he's talking about here. He's saying that the secret to contentment, regardless of what life throws at us right now, regardless of how life is unfolding, there is a contentment as I slowly and steadily and at sometimes gallop towards the next activity that life has for me. Regardless of what happens, I can do this, not because of anything I do or because of any prevailing mythological thought, But because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he had done for Paul. Paul knew that he could sit in a prison and say, I am content. I find hope for that. I find hope in that. Because I may not be in Paul's situation, and I may not be in Stephen Slater's situation, but I want contentment just like you do. And if you ask a a drummer to describe rhythm... He'll tell you it's about keeping a tempo. If you ask a good drummer, he'll tell you it's about who you're playing with, the band, the vibe, the sound. If you ask a great drummer to describe rhythm, he'll tell you that real rhythm is playing in the pocket. Now, what's the pocket, you ask? Well, it's kind of like a drummer's heaven. It's when when you're in the pocket, the beat is solid, but the notes become gray. Sounds mesh together in a way that moves us. It doesn't follow traditional rules, and it's not easily duplicated. Sometimes it's hard charging, and it's foot tapping, and other times it's felt in a laid-back groove. It's the pocket. It's hard to describe. But you know when you're in it, and you know when you're out of it. And I asked Troy that same question. Troy, describe the pocket. He said, I don't know. I can't describe it. Troy's a professional musician. He's been playing with drummers all his life. And he too said, I can't describe it, but I know when I'm in it, and I know when I'm out of it. And if you're honest right now with your life, wherever you're sitting in this room, you're thinking to yourself, well, I know what it feels like to be out of the pocket, to live outside of the pocket, to be so arrhythmic that I, I don't even know which end is up. But I really, do from, I really do believe from this, this particular passage in Philippians that there's some hope for us. Life isn't about balance, it's about rhythm. And it's really about the who of our contentment. And I want to give you three life-in-the-pocket downbeats just to really put some context to this whole conversation. The first downbeat is so when we're in the pocket, we're tuned in to the seasons of life. We're aware of what's going on. We're aware of, of what season we're in right now. We know how long is this season going to last? Is this a season that we've created? Or is it, is it a season that we're just living in right now and it is what it is and there's really nothing that we can do about it? You know, what current, current season of life right now is, is taking its toll on you? What is life demanding from you right now? You know, for me, obviously, as a father of young children... You know, my tendency is to live in this balanced rut. It's to think about, uh, you know what, here I'm standing here, I got diapers to change, and, and I'm thinking about uh, potty training, and just wanting to have an adult conversation at some point with my kids, and, and I'm looking over here. This is the rut. But you know, when I get over here, things are going to be so much easier, This is really where I wanna be. And and, and then I know, and some of you who are parents and have kids that are older than mine, you know, well Adam, guess what? When you get to this eraser, there's gonna be another one over there that's saying, you know what? Something else is calling you, and it's college tuition. And then it's something else, and then it's grandkids. And if we're not careful, and I'm probably the most guilty person in this room of being stuck in this rut of living from thing, from eraser to eraser, and I'm missing the joy at times, of the experience with the people around me, with my kids, with my family, with my friends, because I'm always living two to five years in advance. Now, there's a reality of the season of life I'm in. It's hard. <laughs> but you know what? It's hard for all of us in some way or another. But perspective, here is the key. There is a contentment that comes from Jesus in the midst of this, because whether I feel like I have plenty or whether I have a little bit, Jesus wants to give me a measure of contentment. See, balance's focus is on the other sides of the seasons. When I get there, but rhythm finds contentment and strength and perspective in the midst of any season. I don't care what you're going through right now. There is a contentment that can be had in Jesus where you are right now. So do you know what season you're in right now? Downbeat number two. When we're in the pocket, we're tuned into how well we are leveraging our energy, our gifts, and our resources, versus just filling our calendars with activity. Here's some questions that, that, I, that I've been asking myself lately. What do I do best? What are the things that really energize me? What, what, do, what do I do? In fact, here's another question. What do I, or what do you, complain about? You wouldn't think like that's a, a very valuable point in this conversation, but it really is, and a good friend of mine, Ben Arment, wrote a book titled church in the making. And he wrote this about what we complain about. He says this, what you complain about reveals your gifts. You're noticing injustices, inefficiencies, gaps and abuses. abuses why? Because God has uniquely wired you to do something about them. Some of you right now are sitting back and you're waiting and, you're, and you've got all kinds of th- thoughts going through your mind and you're waiting for the perfect opportunity to really engage even here in this community. And you're seeing injustices around the world and things that are just pressing your button. And your, your tendency is to maybe push the escape hatch and say, you know what, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to go to the next place. Or I'm too small or I'm too young or I'm incapable. I'm not educated enough but there's something about listening and tuning into the rhythm of your soul, about listening to how you're wired and leveraging those gifts, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of all of those around you. Here's some other questions. What activities do we do effortlessly for hours on end? Because a lot of times when people think about balance, it's always about doing and not doing. But for me, When I am energized and I'm doing something that I love to do, what? I can do it for hours. I stink at golf. But I could do it for hours. Why? Because I love to do it. Now, am I saying we should all go play golf? No, obviously there are better examples. But the things that we love to do, we don't even think about time. Why? Because it gives us energy. The things that drain us, oh, all we're doing is watching the clock. Is it 5 p.m. yet? I just got to get out of here. These are important questions to ask. What activities drain the life out of us? Here's a good one. Where do you hear God whispering to you right now? What season of life are you in right now that's, that, that's really challenging you to explore your gifts and your energies and your passions in a new way? And God is whispering, and you're not sure if it's him. And on a balanced equation, it just has to make sense before I'm really willing to dig in, but maybe God is saying, hey, just give it a shot Give me a shot. Because you just might find the contentment that your thirsty soul is looking for. Here's the last downbeat. When we're in the pocket, when we're really in the pocket, we're tuned in to our ambition meter. Now, in his book, Rescuing Ambition, Dave Harvey talks about what's become a four-letter word to Christians and to those stuck in a balanced rut. It's the word ambition. Shouldn't we be talking in church about humility? I mean, come on, ambition, it's just kind of a dirty word. It sounds a little bit like, you know, corporate America. But there's something about ambition that is placed in all of us to do something great. And as I was just skimming through this book, I can't wait to finish it because it's the story of my life where I'm constantly thinking about how can we reconnect, how can we connect more people in this church and young adults and, and, and senior adults and singles and, and everywhere in between, how can more people find the source of contentment, not just so we could be gathered in the room, but because what's at stake on the outside of this room when people find the source that is Jesus Christ. So he writes this, lots of people live, live without dreams, you know, They move from one day to the next without the refreshing effect of a memorable dream. I can relate. My lack of dreaming was never bad enough to disrupt my life, just enough to turn my nights into slow motion and make my days hazy, like a mist fogging my mental windshield. Have you ever been there? Your days are just hazy and it's blurry. What's next? Oh, more of this. But there are dreams that we can lose much more the significant that, that are losing. There are dreams that we can lose that are much more significant. Not the REM kind of dreams, but the dreams that drive us when we're awake. The dreams that cause us to reach beyond ourselves, to see beyond the present and to live for something more. That's what we're wired to do. That's ambition. That's from the heart of God. And that is unbalanced. It's entirely unbalanced, but it is entirely in the pocket. It's a life of rhythm. It's taking a risk. It's taking a chance. Ambition for the kingdom is not a four-letter word. It's where Jesus found his rhythm. He dreamt big for those far from God, for the thirsty soul, for those in need. What are you dreaming for today? When no one's looking, when no one's listening, what are the things that you say, oh, if only we could just do this? Look, what, could it, what could it do for the kingdom? And somebody's telling you somewhere, be, live balanced. If you just, it's, it's crazy what you're thinking. You don't have all the answers. You don't have everything figured out. And so figure everything out and then try. But there's something inside of you that's saying, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. And that potentially is the Holy Spirit. Now be wise and involve wise counsel. Involve, pe- involve people in, the, in your process. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're looking for balance and you want to live risky you want to live an adventure that really is faith, you're going to have problems. There's going to be a tension beyond what's manageable. Because what I believe life is all about is really living in the pocket. It's living a life of ambition. You know, for some of us, though, I will say this. We are ambition junkies. We are adrenaline junkies. We love to think big and what's next. And maybe for us, we need to slow down a little. Focus on the in between, but for the rest of us, maybe it's time to step it up. The irony of ironies is that when we lose ourselves, when we take some chances, we may just end up finding the contentment our souls are craving. So the question is: Are you in tune with your ambition meter today? Friday night, I was tucking in our uh, our son, who's he'll be six in December. And sometimes we pray at night, and sometimes we don't. That's right, I'm a pastor, and I said it. Sometimes we just don't feel like praying, and that's okay. Because, you know, we don't want this relationship with God to be forced or out of memory. We want it to be alive. And Luke sometimes doesn't feel like praying, I think that's, that's okay. But this night he felt like praying, and I felt like praying too. And parent and I are always looking for ways to really lean into our kids, to really uh, impress upon them the worldview that we see in Scripture a life of service, a life of hope. And even at five years old, we've, we've opened our, our photo albums of our trips to Nicaragua and to Appalachia and all over the world where we've just tried to live our lives pouring out for the sake of those around us. And so Luke is familiar with those stories and pictures, and I kind of took a gamble on Friday night as I was tucking him in. I said, I said, Luke, you know there are boys and girls around this world that don't have moms and dads to tuck them in. You could see his little mind stirring. Trying to figure this out. And he was like, So well, like, how do they get the covers over them then? So who 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 is involved in that? Is there like a surrogate that, that comes in? You know, how does that work? You know, he's a really smart kid, he's big big words. But uh so he said he, he he just you could see his mind just stirring and stirring and stirring, and so we we kinda moved on from it and we prayed for his transformers and, and for uh, you know, for his sister to stop taking his toys and for, you know, for dessert for tomorrow night and all these different things and for family and the things that five-year-olds pray for and I pray for. (laughs) And he said this. He said to me, he said, Dad, as as you tuck me in, I'm going to remember that story that you told me about boys and girls who don't have moms and dads to tuck them in at night. And as I walked out of the room, trying not to be all like an emotional basket case, as he said that, to jump all over him and to write it in my journal and to preach it on a Sunday morning message, um, I thought to myself, oh, Luke, don't pray that prayer. Because it is going to wreck your life. It is going to change you. It is going to force you to live unbalanced. It is going to throw you entirely off balance. It doesn't make any sense. People are going to laugh at you. People are going to say, you're wasting your time and your money. They're going to say, you could be doing so many other things. You could be sitting on a beach just soaking up the sun. Instead, you're spending your life caring for people who can't care for themselves. Oh, Luke, don't pray that prayer unless you really mean it. And that's my prayer for you as you think about your lives As you think about the lives that God has called you to live, the dreams, the energies, the passions that he has given you, I pray that you don't just say empty words. God, would we remember these moments? But I pray that you would take this seriously. You see, as we live our lives, as we we live our lives remembering the story that was written 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave his life for us, To find contentment about a God who holds the secret to contentment to life regardless of the season or pace, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, we can find contentment that satisfies our dry and thirsty and parched souls. And it's not anything that we've done to bring this on ourselves. It's nothing that we've done. There's nothing we can do. Because otherwise, if we're doing it, we're stuck in a balanced rut. We're running from eraser to eraser to eraser. But it's because of Jesus. Find the speed of your soul in letting go of someone else's calling while embracing your own. Find the speed of your soul as you pour yourself out for the sake of others. And for some of you, your soul is telling you to slow down, to reevaluate, to let go. And for others, man, it's time to crank it up. It is time to speed up, to get in the game, to engage. But regardless, know this, that life is not about balance. I don't care who's told you that. Life is not about balance. It isn't about equity. It isn't about both sides of the equation adding up or making sense. It's about rhythm it's about recognizing the seasons it's about flowing in and out sometimes it's fast sometimes it's slow the question is to you today what is your soul whispering to you right now will you pray with me father our souls are thirsty our souls are parched and we feel dry at times. God, at this in this, somehow in, in the same breath, we find our souls full of life and energy and, and just having an, an incredible birthday moment. You're in both of those. Father, I pray that each person in this room would not just take a verse we a fortune cookie away from today's message, but they would take the source of contentment, Jesus Christ, and would they lay every paradigm, every thought, every story, every experience, every gift, every piece of baggage, every addiction, everything that is not you, would they lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, my life is broken. I want your contentment. Fill me once again. As the psalmist David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Would you do that again for all of us day in and day out as we seek to find life in rhythm? God, we love you and we thank you for these moments. In Jesus' name.
1: changes are thing time lights down you up and down down you up and die Exchange, no time to exchange when all the little ants are marching. Red and black antennas waving, we, we all do it the same. We all do it the same way. Yeah, candy man touches the thought of a tooth on the way to last. Cutting the corners, loosen, and loosen, and cut the cut on the fences not to offend. Cut, 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 cut. Take these chances, place them in a box until a quiet. A time, lights down, you up and down.